Hi, and welcome to Cartwheels on the Sky, Poets, Poems, and Discovery. It's another Saturday night, first Saturday of November of all things, and I'm your host Blake Moore, and for the next 30 minutes, you're going to get a glimpse into the poems and process of poet Jeffrey King. A former librarian in Mendocino County, Jeffrey's poetry collection, Beyond That Hill I Gather, was published by Finishing Line Press in June of 2021. His poetry chapbook, On the Road, was published by Finishing Line Press in December of 2019. He is the winner of the Red Berry Editions 2015 Broadside Contest, the winner of the 2018 Islands Book Award in Greece for an unpublished poetry book, and a finalist in the 2018 Hillary Prize Poetry Book Competition. He has poems published in Prank, Clackamas Literary Review, Crack the Spine, Visitante, and other. Jeff has a master's degree in music composition and has been playing drums in rock bands most of his life. Currently, Jeffrey Kingman lives by the Napa River in Vallejo, California. Here's a conversation he and I had earlier this week. All right, so I have Vallejo poet. Jeffrey Kingman here with me on Cartwheels on the Sky. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining me. Great to be with you. Thanks so much for inviting me. Why don't you start us off with a poem? I have, um, actually I have uh, two shorter poems that kind of go together. So could I read uh, two shorter ones in a stretch? You bet. Okay. So the first one, um, so, you know, the book is mostly about uh, uh, accomplished women, uh, notable women, and so the first one is a, has to do with Marielle Spark, who is the uh, author who wrote The Prime of Miss Jean Brody. And the second one following that is not, not about anyone specific. It just has to do with motherhood. So the first one is called The Way Back Home. Why and where a tinsel coronet, chosen queen of poetry, so nice to have one's hair stroked by a teacher, she submerges her telephone, his words moisten. Faraway languages spill from her unheld hand. Alone she wanders South Africa. What a long walk and with a baby robin to feed. The earth chafes and the baby's beak so sharp. A young woman outlost must test each thorn. She looks down through the parasol trees, wet swooshing incessant spray. Leopards are harmless. It's the yellow oxalis chases her home. Now it's just front porch azaleas. The sun must have set and the school closed, even the walls evaporating, only voices left. She must form the words dryly. Yes, her hair was nice, the old teacher said. And this uh, next one is a short one. It's called Offspring. Babies are a crisp pile of leaves. Warm the pile, they soften, dance. Without strings, their mother inside them. Mothers die young, then work harder. No, I haven't forgotten. I roam the stairways and listen to the tap-tapping of falling marbles. Beautiful. So why don't you talk about Thank your you. book and, and what inspired you to 
put together a book that honors women? So, yeah, so the book, um, I mean, most of the poems are um, portrait poems of notable women, although they aren't all um, that way. I don't stick slavishly to that. But um, if they're not about notable women, they're about, you know, motherhood or grandmothers or something in along the theme. So the reason I came up with this theme, and um, it's hard to know when I actually decided to do it because I was already writing poems along those lines. And then at some point I decided, well, let's put a book together along these lines. Um, and I feel the reason I wanted to do that, I'm growing up in, you know, mid 20th century. I feel like, and I got into literature at a young age and um, I, when my parents were into literature, but it was all, you know, male authors. And in the arts general, it's all men, you know, whether it be literature or music or art. I mean, it's just so dominated by men. And I just got kind of sick of that, sick of the male gaze. It's just everywhere and so was so pervasive. So um, I was just, I found myself drawn to um, looking into the lives of these women and reading biographies and autobiographies. So I was already sort of doing that. And then I decided to, to well, maybe I just put all these together into a, into a book. And uh, so it was quite a journey and a lot of um, research. It took actually a long time. A couple of years I spent on this little, you know, it's not a big book and, you know, just a lot of uh, um, learning about uh, these various uh, women and what they accomplished in their lives. And so it was quite a, you know, it was kind of an education as well as, as a creative endeavor. Why don't you read another poem? So this poem is called Matriarch. Ninth great-grandchild spits up peas. Seventh and fourth declare themselves winners. I bundle the children into categories. High-shouldered daughters gobble minutes, trikes in the hallway. My side-winding wisdom laughs into a hanky. Why is it I depend on the perpetual tweed skirt? Try reading a mother nursing triplets. Had a girl... I suppose getting it right doesn't matter. Pull the flowers from the earth. An isolated pea is a tiny thing. Mm. So, yeah, so just looking at motherhood and grandmotherhood, and that poem was inspired by um, a book by Penelope Lively, a memoir. And so it's a little more of a loose uh, kind of impressions after reading, reading that book. Do you have a lot of women in your life? Um, I do. Um, I'm pretty close with my sister who um, lives here in the Bay Area, and she's also turned to writing essays in her, her later in life. And so we talk a lot about writing. Um, I am married to my wife Katie, who is a painter, and she painted um, four um, uh, portraits that were uh, that are on the cover of the book. So I was lucky to have uh, my very own artist to uh, <laughs> help out with the cover, and um, yeah, and there's even, there's a poem in here about my my mother. Um, so yeah, uh, I've always and I have you know women friends, and so yes, I would say that I do have plenty of women in my life, which I'm glad about. Yeah, right. Would you read the poem mm-hmm. about your mother? Yeah, let me read that one. Okay, here we go. 
Melva Kingman. Restless blue sweater mended. I wipe up a pool of black ink. Nothing to consider. Lorraine meets us after school at Rexall's. Gramophones in the store. Earmuffs for listening. Haydn, Mozart. The name of Elsie's street, but with a soft V. Mom thinks we're seeing Garbo in The Painted Veil. But we sneak off to Cleopatra instead. Tremendous wind walking home. Tangerines in winter, my favorite. Wake to cars buried in snow. Peek inside the pages of music I can't read. Beatrice from school has a piano at home, but we don't know her. Dry cereal, the milkman must be stuck this morning. Everything is hushed. Listen. Pure white drifts, the sun plays it. Imagine what's buried. Snow rifts to the second story. So that one is, uh, you know, things that I know about my mother and um, and her friends when she was in, you know, high school. And so just sort of imagining some things. Some things are sort of made up, but some things are definitely based on, on reality. So I had fun putting that together. That's such a familial, wonderful ring, you know, the way that poetry, when it brings us back, there's something, it's nostalgia, but yet emotional, and then with the universal feeling that comes through everything that we all can really relate to, especially when we think of our mothers, and I don't want to say idealized, because I don't mean it that way, but, you know, that most maternal, nurturing sense of our mothers. Yeah, yeah, exactly, and it's kind of a way to honor her, you know, she passed uh, back around 2000, 2003, so, um, you know, just keeping her alive in my in my mind and in, in my work. So you want to talk about how you uh, got to poetry and what made you write? Well, that's kind of an interesting story because I used to write just fiction. And um, so I'm 62 now, and I didn't come to poetry in my life until I was about 50. So that's kind of, um, it's a little strange because I feel like I'm really where I need to be. Poetry is just, you know, for the past 12 years, I'm just all about poetry and reading and writing it. I don't write fiction anymore. But before that, so I spent about another 12 years before coming to poetry, writing fiction. Um, I wrote a book of short stories and a, and a novel. And then I just got, to, you know, it became more and more frustrating for me trying to write fiction. And I just, something wasn't right. So uh, I had a coworker. I worked at the library, the public library, and I had a coworker who had recently got her MFA in poetry. And she started, uh, I just was interested in what, she was doing her own poetry, and she started feeding me po- po- poets. Like, here's a book, or here's a a poet, poet you might like. And I started getting interested in it, and then I started writing. I just, it was like a light switch. I, I was writing fiction, and all of a sudden, I just completely switched to poetry, and I have not looked back. <laughs> I'm in the right place. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I always say that I love about poetry is you can sit down and write a poem, and be done with it. Whereas when I've written short stories and books, and they're so all-encompassing, and then they take over your life, 
and a poem yeah. might take over your life for a little while, but then you can put it away and know it's part of the collection. And I, I love that about poetry. It's very digestible. Yeah, yeah. It's a whole different way of, of working. And I found that, like, when I was writing, say, short stories, you know, I'd, I have dry spells where I just couldn't come up with something that I wanted to write about, some characters or situation. I just couldn't come up with anything that interested me. And, then, and so it was, like, you know, really um, frustrating. Then I... When I came up with an idea, then I was obsessed by it, and for like weeks I'd be just writing in my head constantly. And so it was really up and down and really a different um, working uh, routine. And so now with poetry, I, I often write very early in the morning, but, you know, I can write any time, and it doesn't, I don't have to, like, I have to set aside four hours. I must do this. Uh, you know, it's not that kind of um, time pressure. I can work in a way that is it's a little freer and not, I don't feel as trapped. And it's what, it unleashes the, create, the creative impulse, I think, a little bit better for me. Do you have a regular writing routine? Um, you know, I didn't used to. Um, I retired from library work back in February, and so I would just write whenever um, and wherever. Uh, but now that I'm retired, I do find that, and in my old age, I, I, my powers of concentration are better in the early morning. And also, there's not the distractions, you know, uh, of life. You know, 5, 5.30 in the morning, it's, everything's quiet. You can concentrate. And so I, I pretty much do, do uh, most of my writing at that time. But then, you know, things may occur to me later in the day and it, it uh, you know, I, things can strike me and I'm like, oh, got to get to a pen and paper, you know. <laughs> I, there was a period in my life where I would leave a piece of paper and a pen in my console of my car always. I live on Highway 1 and that's not very, it's not very safe. And usually I come up with things to write or things I'm thinking about on maybe longer drives, say down to the Bay Area or something. And with yeah. the smartphones, I've taken to just speaking, recording into the phone. Do you ever great. use a phone like that? No, I haven't. That's a great uh, that's a great idea, though, because um, then you really have the flexibility. Yeah, as you say, if you've got things coming into your brain and you're driving, you, well, you can just do it still. You don't have to wait. Oh, i got to pull over or something. Exactly. And... And then every once in a while, it's kind of like a journal where I'll go back and go, what was it that I was saying? <laughs> and if you're just tuning in, I want to let you know that you're listening to Cartwheels on the Sky right here on KGUA. This is Blake Moore, and I'm speaking with Vallejo poet Jeffrey Kingman. What, do you want to read us another poem? Okay. Well, this one is a two-part poem, and... um. So it's concerned. The first part concerning Elizabeth Louise. Well, her name is Elizabeth Vigée Lebrun. So she was a painter in um, painting in the like the late 1700s, early 1800s in Europe. Had a real career. Made good money painting portraits of famous people. She did self portraits. And so back then, you know, for a woman to have that success and to do that, it was sort of you know, that just was unheard of. And so she got some pushback, you know, in the male world. Um, but she, she was an amazing person and painted beautiful paintings. And she was beautiful herself, as you see, if you look at the self-portraits. So I would recommend you go on Google and look at some of those paintings. They're great. So 
she has her self-portraits. The second part of the poem is regarding, and this is uh, way uh, left field, Amy Schumer, the comedian who is currently famous. And she had a, a portrait photo of herself on the cover of Vogue magazine a few years back in an elegant gown, which is sort of unlike her. So I was just looking at how these two women were presenting themselves visually and what they may be thinking about. So the first part of the poem, Vijay Lebrun, self-portrait with Cerise Ribbon, circa 1782, and self-portrait with her daughter, Julie, 1786. Where's the point of shine? A delicate nose, not serious, they say, of direction. Do they not undertake to pin a craft, their work adornment of self-promotion, they say? So it must be her face, its fineness, they doubt. Light the face, night, color the neck and shadow. No broken tooth, brittle ends, but soft curls on muslin shoulders, scarves interlace, ribbons, slightly part her lips. Her maternity smiles the canvas. No reason to become weary. And the second part of the poem, Amy Schumer, so it was Vogue magazine, July 2016, the photographer Annie Leibovitz, makeup Gucci Westman, the dress designed by Naeem Khan. Others volumize her hair, pack her body. She knows to perform. Walk here, lift the dress. The generous red-flowered fabric should not drag the pavement. She wants a gag. They allow her a scone with cloth napkin. So the the photo on the Vogue is it's, it's um, she's holding in a yeah in a napkin that looks like a donut or something I don't know but it was just such an unusual photo for her so I, I was I was intrigued by it. <laughs> <laughs> very visual. Yeah, and another and an interesting point about the painter Vijay Lebrun, her um in that time period, you know, I guess people <laughs> had bad teeth, so it wasn't considered polite to smile and show your teeth. You know, that especially in a portrait, you wouldn't show your teeth. That was considered gauche or something or yeah. you know, uncouth. And so, but in her self-portrait, she is smiling and she does show her teeth. So that was another Thing. I was just like, no, I'm not. I'm not buying into that. <laughs> Here's me. This is what I look like. You know? <laughs> I'm doing it my way. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, I know <laughs> that you have been super involved in the poet laureate program in Vallejo, and you've mentioned to me that you're very interested in poet laureate programs in small towns. You want to speak a little bit more about that? Yeah. So I got um, into that um, in Vallejo <clears throat> a few years back. Our first poet laureate was interested in starting up a program. And she wound up being our first poet laureate. That's Janae Bryce. And so working at the library, I partnered with, with her in doing poetry programming. We'd have reading programs and um, uh, a read around where um, people would gather and just read poems to each other um, in a safe environment. There wasn't any critiquing or anything. So um, anyway, so the poet laureate um, program. Well, so we, we're on our third poet laureate in Vallejo now. And so, um, and I, you know, our neighboring town, Benicia, they've had uh, a poet laureate program for much longer. And um, so it's been interesting watching the various poets laureate and their various styles of, of doing the, 
their stint as poet laureate. <clears throat> um, so I was kind of looking online and seeing what the history, as I mentioned, I am somewhat new, relatively new to poetry coming in around 2010. So um, I wanted to see, well, what's sort of the history of this? And so I went online and looked up some things. There was an article or a uh, radio segment on All Things Considered, NPR, 2001, where they're talking about small town poets laureate. And there was uh, also a New York Times article in 2013 about uh, the poet laureate in Fresno, uh, which is also where the poet Philip Levine was, uh, I believe, teaching. So, um, and there were some comments that came in, like one poet, I forget who said this, but an established poet, she was saying that, well, she didn't think, you know, small towns should have poets laureate because, well, they're bound not to have very good poets. And if they're, you know, some poet laureate is like a quota, and she, she said a bad poet or something like that's not going to draw people to poetry. And I'm like, what, what, what is this attitude? You know, I, I think that's totally, you know, cynical and, and just, wrong. Um, I think the way to look at it, I mean, on a big level, like state poet laureate or national poet laureate, sure, you've got a, someone who's very well established and they've got books published and won awards, okay. But in a small town, the point of it is to promote, to bring the community together with poetry. And the person who can do that is going to be somebody who has the, you know, charisma or the, just the, the generosity, you know, there's a generosity bone that some people have <laughs> just when they're born with it. And if you can put yourself out to the community and bring people together, that's what it's about. Um, you know, so whereas on the state or even the big city on that level, um, you know, you have a, a, an established poet to bestow an honor upon and all that. But um, I think in a small town, it's more like recruiting, the recruiting of a, of a willing volunteer who has the desire to encourage and, and nurture poetry and culture in their community and, and, and to roll up their sleeves and do the hard work. And it is hard work. So, um, you know, there might not be large numbers of people lining up at this chance because, you know, it's often no pay or little pay. And so it's really a responsibility. And uh, I think for small towns to, to find somebody who, who can do that and, and to really bring the, the community together, that's, uh, that's a great thing and it should be done. I agree. I know California and I'm sure other states have done it, but there's been more and more of these poet laureate gatherings where poets laureate from cities and counties all across the state have gathered. Have you participated in any of those? Yeah, well, um, there. yeah, I wasn't present there. I'm not a poet laureate. I guess it was just for, you know, for the poets laureate, to, for themselves to gather and share their experiences. But our, our, first, our um, second... Uh, Vallejo Poet Laureate, um, D.L. Lang, she uh, went to such an event, I think it was down in Southern California, and she, um, you know, posted a lot of pictures and describing her experience, and it sounded wonderful, wonderful. Um, so, as a, yeah, so that's even, um, that does get to a larger scale, yeah. You have your little town where you're getting the people in your immediate community together, but then when all the various, uh, uh, poets laureate can gather and, and share their experiences and learn from each other and 
um, yeah, that's that's also a wonderful opportunity. And it's been tough though in the you know what during the pandemic that's really been tough. Our current poet laureate we're looking at extending his term because you know kind of got cheated out of being able to do a lot of things. So we're looking into that. Right, there's so much just hasn't gotten to happen. Yeah. Yes, indeed. And did yeah. did I hear that at in Point Arena they're looking to start a poet laureate program or? Oh, Point Arena has started a poet laureate program. Yes. Oh, good. So. Um, point Arena had a poet laureate program already once before with Fiona Perkins, and she was poet laureate for life. And when she passed. She actually gave me her Poet Laureate banner. She has this banner that she gave me and said, you're Poet oh. Laureate now. And uh, I didn't know what to say. I wasn't going to go to the City Hall and say, guess what? I've been made Poet Laureate by the the, the former Poet Laureate. <laughs> and just, oh. you know, I have actually been appointed Poet Laureate for the City of Point Arena. Great. Congratulations. That's Thank you so great. much. Yes. Yeah. I'll say that me and Melissa Carr Elferton, she and I are are doing a, she's a poet laureate of, of Ukiah, and she's also the librarian at Ukiah, and she and I are starting a poets laureate, poet circle for young authors, young poets, that actually starts tomorrow, which for listeners would be yesterday, no, it would be Wednesday, but it's going to be held on the first Wednesday of the month, starting kind of ongoing. At three o'clock, it's going to be a Zoom. Excellent. That way, more people from the county can participate if they so choose. Yeah, well, yeah. that's great. And my hat, my hat is always out, off for teachers and people working with kids and um, getting them interested in poetry. That's that's so so great. Wonderful. Well, we're about out of time. Do you want to finish us with one more poem? Um, sure. Let me see what I have here. Um, well, perhaps I'll read, um, okay, so this one is about uh, a woman by the name of Sophia Duleep Singh, and she was a, a princess who parents from India, and uh, they, uh, she grew up though in England, and uh, was sort of taken under the wing of Queen Victoria. And uh, so, but she was, uh, she was kind of a, a troublemaker, a, the good kind of troublemaker, and became a suffragette and was uh, working for women's rights. And um, so, Sophia Duleep Singh, and this poem is called Marching. Voice rattles, a high window, the lyric ricochets, then straightens to the upper register. Breath comes from the diaphragm, for the belters, on occasion the belly. Trailing skirts out of fashion, wives sing wild, wrapped in bedsheets. To jump from a crawling baby is not a dance. Talk of a women's parliament. Words are for lemmings. Feet do the work until the pointlessness is stiff-limbed, dogged bobbies, the street scuffle and avant-garde ballet. She fell down during the struggle, mud on her dress. Hmm. Thank you so much, Jeff. It's been a pleasure having this conversation with you. 
Well, thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Enjoyed talking to you. I appreciate your inviting me to do this. And that concludes my conversation with Jeffrey Kingman, poet from Vallejo, whose book Beyond That Hill I Gather highlights women in his life, women in the world. I hope you enjoyed the show and stay tuned for more great KGUA programming. I look forward to being back with you next month with a new poet. And until then, take good care of yourselves, be nice to your neighbors, and let's all find a bridge. And remember that we're a community. Let's stay that way, everybody. Lots of love to you all and have a beautiful evening. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned.